0: handout. If you have not received a handout, there's a couple of extras here. You're welcome to take those. I'm happy to bring them to you. Thank you, Cameron, for distributing those. We continue our study in the book of Mark. Uh, Today we plan to cover, or aim to cover, the entire chapter 13 of of Mark and so in Mark and spirit we will move fast as he says immediately and so um, that's how we will move so you will sense that we are hitting a lot of different things but my hope is that as we hear these that truly uh, the Lord would prepare our hearts for for his coming A story is told of the Swedish uh, chemist by the name Alfred Nobel, probably a name you've heard, who made a fortune by inventing dynamite and other powerful explosives used for weapons. Years later, when Nobel's brother died, a newspaper accidentally printed an obituary uh, for Alfred instead. And here's how the obituary described him it said, Alfred was a man who became rich by enabling people to kill one another in unprecedented quantities. Shaken by this assessment, Nobel actually made a resolve to use his fortune to honor accomplishments that benefited humanity. And so thus he created the Nobel Priest Prize, among other things. Alfred Nobel, in a sense, because of the obituary that was printed in the newspaper, had a sneak preview of uh, how he would be remembered if he were to die that day one might say that he got a glimpse of his future today. And as a result of seeing his obituary, Alfred Nobel was able to make some key changes in his life. In the text that we're going to look at today, our Lord gives his apostles and us as his disciples, a glimpse of the future. How will this information about the future change our lives? Uh, How will we live differently? If the Lord does not come in our lifetime, how would you like to be remembered? Or What would you like your spouse, uh, your children, your, your grandchildren, uh, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors to think about you when you are not there? One commentator observes, Mark 13, Mark 13 points out that the best thing we can do is to follow Jesus' instructions concerning the future and live by the Boy Scout motto, be prepared be prepared and so I've titled our lesson for today be prepared be prepared we've been going through the book of mark for some time now and this is one of the overall kind of uh, outlines that I had shared in the past where we've looked at mark as the gospel being divided into three acts the first being from chapter 1 to chapter 8 verse 26 about Jesus's public ministry in and around Galilee The second being Jesus' private ministry on the way to Judea. And then we are now in the third act, which is Jesus' passion, his suffering, focus on his suffering and his death and his resurrection. As we think of the lesson itself, we think of, I think of dividing it in this way. As I think of the title of the lesson, be prepared. How do we be prepared? It's by understanding the framework for the future instructions about the immediate future instructions about the distant future and we'll have time to write those down in case you are scrambling to do it right now and then we'll learn lessons for the future lessons that our Lord wants us to learn about how to respond as we see these things coming in the future and so I've given a theme for our lesson today it is this our Lord is preparing his disciples our Lord is preparing his disciples both present and future for events both immediate and distant A Lord is preparing his disciples both present and future for events both immediate and distant I want to begin with with this one which is the framework for the future Uh, it's important for us to get this framework and we'll move through this pretty quickly I'm not going to spend a lot of time defending this be happy to talk to you one-on-one but just want us to get this context as we look at this particular text you know as we think about our Lord's teaching it would be helpful for us to grasp this framework for the future if you've read the countryside Bible Church doctrinal statement which is drawn from the scriptures uh, nothing I'm going to say right now is going to surprise you but it would be good to be exposed to it again to understand what our Lord is teaching in this chapter Uh, for those who are new to our church or new to the scriptures itself as a believer, I trust that this is a helpful introduction to what we believe the Bible teaches about the end times. In your handout uh, there is something called as an ordo salutis uh, or ordo eschatos which is the order of the last things or the last days um, as we track what is going on. What I'm going to share with you is essentially the order eschatos for believers. And so you'll see I'll not mention everything. As we think of the first thing that might happen to us if the Lord does not return is death. All of us one day will die. Uh, it is a sobering thought to think about. It is the last enemy to be destroyed, says Paul. And what happens in death? It, it is that our soul separates from our body. Uh, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, That is, if you are redeemed, you will pass immediately, when you die, into the presence of our Lord. Secondly, rapture. If not death, then the other event which will trigger the next phase of God's plan is the rapture. Uh, This is the personal bodily return of our Lord uh, before the tribulation, or the seven-year tribulation, um, to take his church from this earth. Paul in 1st Thessalonians 4:16 and 17 says for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with a voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we shall always be with the Lord as you know we don't require people who are becoming members of our church to agree with everything that we believe here about eschatology, Uh, although uh, I believe that they will be raptured along with the rest of us when we are raptured. Um, But that is the second stage. The third one would be the tribulation or the seven year tribulation. Now it's not very clear whether, uh, how immediately the seven year tribulation will follow, but it will follow the rapture. Uh, this is also many times you may have heard the 70th week of Daniel uh, which he references in his prophecy you don't have to turn there but in Daniel 9:27 he writes and he that is the antichrist or the man of lawlessness will make a firm covenant with many for one week uh, that one week is understood as seven days or seven years but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering so right in the middle of that seven year period he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction one that is decreed is poured out or one who makes desolate all of that to say is uh, this there is a reference in the text later on and we will come to that Um, he's describing the seven-year tribulation and from the middle of that seven-year tribulation till the end of that tribulation is called Great Tribulation. Uh, This period is described more graphically if you're joining us for Sunday evening services, Pastor Tom is currently I think in Revelation 14. Uh, This period is described in more graphic detail from Revelation 6 to to 18. Uh, Daniel tells us that at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation Uh, the Antichrist uh, was also described as the man of lawlessness will make a firm covenant with Israel and in the middle of that period he will break that covenant and then what will follow is the Great Tribulation this is the middle so it is the last three and a half years Uh, this period is described as 42 months or 1260 days um, uh, described as such in Revelation 11 Um, here in our text if you look at verse 14 of chapter 13 uh, he uh, it's described as the abomination of desolation and I'll explain more when we when we get to that particular verse uh, the last half of that tribulation period is going to be more intense and more violent than the first half uh, the end of that particular period the period of tribulation will be marked by two events uh, the first will be that the Antichrist the false prophet will be overthrown and then Satan will be removed from the world for a period of a thousand years want to read more uh, I'm referring to Revelation to Revelation 20 verse 1 to verse 7 so that's the first the second will be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and his reign for a thousand years also called as the millennium so that's the third the fourth one is then the second coming and the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ you see the end of the tribulation period will be marked by the second coming of Christ, who will come as a king to reign for a thousand years. Therefore, it's called the millennial kingdom. All believers from all ages will join him and reign with him. Again, Revelation 19 and and 20. Expand on that more. This is actually a fulfillment of God's promise to Israel as he restores to them the land that was taken from them because of their disobedience. Uh, this is also a period, uh, this thousand year, that will be marked by harmony and, and justice and peace and righteousness and even long life. This thousand year period will be brought to an end with three other events. Uh, the first is the release of Satan for a period of time. We don't know how long that time will be, but he will come out and he will deceive many nations for a period of time. And then he will be devoured and defeated and defeated and thrown into the lake of fire and that is Satan's eternal destiny at the end of the millennium also there will be the judgment of the lost in your order eschatos it's mentioned as the great white throne judgment great white throne judgment takes place at the end of the millennium and the third event is that the earth as it exists now will be destroyed with intense heat and this will be followed by the creation of the new hearth, earth and the new heavens all of those things follow the millennial kingdom and fifthly and finally is our eternal state or eternity uh, this new earth will be the eternal dwelling place of the saints well, where they will forever enjoy the fellowship with God and with one another. So if you have had a vision of yourselves having wings or anything of that sort uh, that's not biblical you will come back to this earth uh, which will be a new earth as God will create it. Peter talks about this in Peter, 2 Peter 3. Now with that framework we can then get into our text. Um, here is quickly the same chart that you have on your notes just in case anyone did not get those. Alright so let's look at the text then together We begin with, first of all, looking at the instructions of our Lord about the immediate future. The instructions about the immediate future. Now, if you remember from the chart shown to you in the last few lessons, um, uh, this is Tuesday. We are on Tuesday of the last week of our Lord's life. Uh, That day begins in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, with the disciples witnessing the withered fig tree and we also see on the same day a challenge to Jesus' authority after that and then they enter the temple in Mark chapter 11 verse 27 and the last thing that they witnessed which Terry covered last week was the widow who drops two copper coins in the treasury Uh, as we saw last week the story is more about the pathetic depths to which the religious leaders had reached in their treatment of widows one of the most vulnerable groups um, it's about that, then about giving generously. Of course, we ought to give generously, but, but the story is about the depths of depravity to which these leaders had reached. Now, Jesus is ready to leave the temple with his disciple, disciples, and that's where we pick up Mark chapter 13, verse 1. So if you have your Bible stern there, we'll begin in verse 1. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful beginnings. You first see the disciples' amazement at the temple structure. Now the temple was a grand structure. Uh, This was the second temple, if you remember. Uh, The first was built by King Solomon, David's son, around 960 B.C. And that temple, that first temple, was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C mentioned in 2nd Kings 25 so this is not that temple but there was a second temple that was built by those who were the exile came back and the second temple was built 70 years after the first temple was destroyed and so somewhere around 516 BC the second temple was built it was built by Zerubbabel and the record of that is found in the book of Ezra chapter 6 this is the temple that was further expanded and beautified by Herod the same Herod who killed babies Uh, the reconstruction of this temple started somewhere around 20 BC and while Jesus was speaking like even at the moment he was speaking the reconstruction was still going on and it's another 30 years before the reconstruction will be over so there was a total of about 75 to 80 years that were spent in reconstructing this uh, temple uh, the outside of the temple was a stunning picture. It was covered with, with gold. I do have some pictures I'll show you. It was so brilliant that when the sun shone, uh, it, it was just blinding. Uh, that's how brilliant the temple was. And where there was no gold, uh, there were white marble stones that were put. Uh, these stones were so white that if you, had, if you were to look at it from far, it would, you would get the sense that perhaps it, it snowed. Now the stones were not only dazzling, they were also huge. Uh, this one here is still in existence. Um, this is the longest stone in the Temple Mount and it measures about 45.6 feet or close to 15 meters. And almost most modern uh, construction cranes could not lift them even today. No, no wonder the disciples were awestruck and amazed let me give you a, a glimpse of where, where we are physically geographically speaking uh, this is an old map of Jerusalem uh, at Jesus's time if you look closely uh, the Mount of Olives is on the east uh, this is where the temple was uh, and between the Mount of Olives and the temple is what is known as the Kidron Valley here's another picture uh, we don't have Mount of Olives here but Garden of Gethsemane which is on the Mount of Olives is mentioned Uh, and this was the area where the temple was here's another picture looking at Mount of Olives in the foreground so looking from the west towards the east it was a grand sight to, to look at But how does our Lord respond as he hears this amazement from the disciples? Secondly, we look at the Lord's assessment of the temple's future. See, the temple was, was grand. It was beautiful. It was built but to represent the presence of God. But for many, the temple had become an idol. Something more important than God himself. And so our Lord gives a truthful and a blunt assessment of the temple's future Uh, notice verse 2 Jesus said to him do you see these great buildings not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down the temple he says will one day be destroyed not one stone will be left on another after about 40 years after Jesus made this prophecy there was a revolution against the Roman occupation And there were a few early successes in that revolution but the rebellion was ultimately crushed by the Romans and the temple was destroyed just as our Lord prophesied about it. This was a literal fulfillment of the prophecy that then should encourage us as we think about this literal fulfillment as we look at the rest of the chapter it should encourage us to hear carefully what the Lord has to say and take that literally as well. You know, for more than a thousand years, the temple, as it stood where it stood, was the center of Jewish religion and and life. It It was good. It was meant to represent the Lord's presence. It was a small glimpse of heaven on earth. But you know, even good things can become bad and sinful when they begin to replace God himself. The temple was good as long as it encouraged and prompted you to and and directed you to the one who represented it but that's not what people thought about the temple at the time that Jesus made this prophecy also another thing we want to remember is that the temple's role was complete remember what happened when Jesus died the curtain that separated the holy from the holiest was torn apart so that we now have access to the Lord's presence and so it had served its purpose for which it was put in place But this prophecy, as we think about it, proved that Jesus is God. It turned out to be true. And so will all others that he teaches or taught. So we must pay careful attention. That brings us to the second one. Instructions about the distant future. From on their way out of the temple in verse 1, the group has now reached the Mount of Olives, which is directly to the east of the temple. It's about 100 feet higher than the Temple Mount and provided an impressive picture of the temple from the Mount. This is a picture taken from the Mount of Olives of the Dome of Rock where the t- temple existed. And you can see, because it's at a higher elevation, at least 100 feet, 50 feet above where the Temple Mount was, you could look down at what was going on. Now, the teaching itself was from Mount of Olives. The rest of the chapter is where Jesus, that's where Jesus and his disciples are. Therefore, this section is also called as the Olivet Discourse. A more larger treatment of this discourse is Mar- Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 24 and 25. And then Luke also covers this. He covers that in Luke chapter 21, verse 5 to 36. But we focus on Mark's account here as we go through his, his Gospel. Uh, first of all as we look at it we we notice the disciples question notice verse 4 tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all of these things are going to be fulfilled you know they are now at the, on the Mount of Olives and Mark tells us that there are four of the twelve disciples that question Jesus privately now Mark records for us two of those questions Uh, Tell us when these things would be and what will be the sign when all of these things are going to be fulfilled But if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 24 There are actually three questions that they ask When will these things be? That is, when will be the temple destroyed? When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So three questions in all our Lord addresses the last two questions in our text for today what will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age and our Lord's response or answer will occupy most of the rest of this chapter in our lesson as well as we think of the Lord's answer from verse 5 to verse 27 Uh, first of all as we think of our Lord's response we think in terms of time the first section deals with The time from his ascension to the middle of tribulation from the ascension to the middle of tribulation that is chapter 13 verse 5 to verse 13 deal with that period Uh, this is the period that our Lord describes in verse 8 as the beginning of birth pangs or beginning of birth pains it begins at the ascension of our Lord if you remember Acts chapter 1 is where our Lord ascended So it begins there and will continue until the middle of the tribulation period. It's like the Braxton Hicks contractions uh, that a pregnant woman feels. Um, That's the word that is used at the end of verse 8. They are pangs, they are pains that that you feel. They can be mistaken for true labor contractions, but they are not if you were to ask me where are we right now we are in this period that our Lord is describing from the ascension to the middle of the tribulation some parts of the period are also called as the church age we are in this period right now how do we know that notice the markers that our Lord mentions Uh, I'm not going to read the text so you have to follow me as I as I go through it first of all one of the markers of this period is that there will be lots of deception notice in verse 6 many will come in my name saying i am he and will mislead many you know within our lord's 100 uh, 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 w- within 100 years of our lord's ascension men began to rise that claimed to be the messiah uh, we, we heard something related to that even in our morning's lesson with pastor tom and so far in the last 20 centuries that have gone by more than 250 individuals have claimed to be the Messiah and many have claimed to be Jesus Christ himself they have as our Lord says claimed to be coming in his name in fact online sources tell us that within the last 23 years of this 21st century seven individuals claimed to be the Lord Jesus Christ so this is pertinent, this is relevant, this is true about what is happening. And all that these men are doing who are claiming to be the Messiah and the Lord Jesus Christ, is that they are misleading. Uh, they are misleading and they will mislead many. Deception. Deception. Secondly, we also see destruction. Our Lord tells us that in this period, verse seven, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. Historians tell us that in the entire history of this world, which is around 6,000 years, there's only been a period of 270 years where there was no war. That's about 5% of the time. Out of the 195 countries that exist in the world today, 32 are currently involved in some sort of a warfare. Whether there is an outright war, or a civil war, or some terrorist insurgency that is involved in these countries 32 out of the 195 just the day before yesterday marked the one-year anniversary of Russia's attack on Ukraine hundreds and thousands have so far died on both sides of the conflict uh, this is happening even right now but this is still not the end verse 7 when you hear of wars and rumors of wars do not be frightened those things must take, take place, but that is not yet the end. Deception, destruction, uh, thirdly, there is also disasters. Verse 8 tells us that there will be earthquakes in various places and, and famines. Now, you know earthquakes happen all the time, but the significant ones are the ones that are 5.3 and above on the Richter scale. Of those, we've had more than 20 even within the last 23 years, in this century itself. The latest one in Turkey you are probably following happened on February 6th. So far more than 50,000 individuals have died. That was 7.8 on the Richter scale. Also in the 21st century we've lost more than 2.5 million people, individuals for, towards famine. Now living in a country that God has blessed so abundantly we may tend to be misled about what is happening in the rest of the world but 2.5 million within the 21st century all of these events our Lord tells us at the end of verse 8 are merely the beginning of birth pangs or Braxton Hicks as I mentioned earlier those are some of the markers but there's one more as you think of what is happening from verse 9 to verse 13 there will be persecution not only will there be deception and destruction and disasters, there will also be persecution. But who will persecute? You ask. Well, look. Look at verse nine. First of all, we see religious leaders doing the persecution. You know, majority of the persecution of Christians that Christians have faced have not have not faced those persecutions from atheists, uh, but from people who themselves claim to be believers in in God. According to Deuteronomy 25, verse 3, according to the law, uh, criminals were not to receive more than 40 lashes. Um, In order not to accidentally give 40 lashes, the Jews would only give 39 lashes. This is what Paul had in mind when in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, he says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now remember, this is Paul talking about it, and it happened within one generation of our Lord's ascension and it is continuing to happen Uh, the temple as you know was destroyed in 70 AD. but even before the temple was destroyed God's people were already beginning to face persecution religious leaders is one group the other group is government leaders notice verse 9 and verse 10 you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them also, verse eleven. When they arrest you and hand you over, who's doing the arresting? All well, the government authorities. Persecution also will come from government leaders. Uh, those who are older, slightly older, will remember the Arab Spring. just about eleven years back in 2000, it began in 2010, ended in 2012. It was essentially uh, these dictatorial kind of led Muslim countries in the Middle East and North Africa who were rising up against the dictators in order to have a democratic government but many Christians who actually live through that tell us that that was probably not a good thing for Christians because at least the dictator was focused on himself but what these government leaders were doing was persecuting Christians even more and so you have persecution from religious leaders persecution from government leaders but notice verse 12 there's persecution also from immediate family members it won't just be religious and government leaders. Even our own family members will persecute us, uh, betray us, and in some cases even seek our death. Verse 12. Uh, some, us, some of us are even right now facing challenging and difficult circumstances with our family members because of what we believe, because of our faith. But not only that, notice verse 13. You will be hated by all. Persecution is not limited just to leaders and family members. Everyone who is not a follower of Christ will hate us. Those are some of the markers of the period between ascension of our Lord and the middle of the tribulation. How can we be prepared? How do we respond? Well, Notice first of all even within the text itself we are to expect difficult times. Uh, Paul writing to this young pastor Timothy he says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted Uh, I think it was Steve Lawson who said the problem with preachers is that no one wants to persecute them but if you live godly lives he says you will be persecuted in verse 5 and 6 we are told two times don't be misled verse 7 Don't be frightened. Uh, Verse 9, be on your guard. Verse 11, don't worry. Do not worry. Now how did men and women who died for Christ walk straight into a burnt inferno? Well, they believed these promises that came from the Lord. And notice verse 9 and verse 13. In verse 9 at the end it says, You will stand before governors and kings for my sake. Notice verse 13, you will be hated by all because of my name. You see, they can't get to Christ and so they hate you and they persecute you so that in, they ho- in hopes that they might somehow get to Christ. They are after Christ more than anything else. He says, you're doing all of these things for my sake, for my name. Secondly, we can or we should continue to meditate on the Lord's promise. The Lord will give you, notice, what to say, verse 11, when you stand in front of authorities. Now, an interesting thing as you look at the parallel passages, here it says the Holy Spirit. But if you were to look in Luke chapter 21, it says, I will give you the utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. In other words, Jesus claiming to be God. Holy Spirit is the same deity although a different person than the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to the divinity of our Lord but also to the fact that he promises that he will have everything that we need when we are in crisis so remember when you're suffering for Christ you will have everything that you need to respond to that notice also verse 13 remember that genuine believers will endure the one who endures to the end he's the one who is saved genuine believers will be able to endure persecution uh, this is how the fake ones the inauthentic ones will be separated from the genuine ones Now, I come from India as many of you know and uh, about nine years or so back we had a new government that was very fundamentalistic in its approach to, to Christians um, and people began to think how is it going to impact the believers in that country but many who knew the scriptures would say this will separate those who are fake from the ones who are true. It comes from here the one who endures to the end is the one who is saved. Notice also in the middle of all of this verse 10 the gospel must first be preached to all nations it is being preached even as we sit here it's going out to all the nations you know as you know in January uh, we confirmed and uh, you probably looked at our bulletins we're getting ready to send out uh, the Cunningham family right now in the middle of Asia and Europe Lord willing in the next couple of months we are participating in what the Lord is doing here and throughout the world these then are the events that will mark the time of our between our Lord's ascension and the middle of the tribulation now a good student of the Bible which we are will stop and ask the question if the Lord is covering a time from after his ascension until the middle of the tribulation why is it that he does not mention the rapture now that is a good question but here's the answer he does not mention the rapture because the questions were not about the rapture uh, but about the signs of the end of the age and the signs of his coming that's why it's not covered in here and so that takes us to the next section which is from verse 14 to verse 23 from the mid to the end of the tribulation we are moving but we need to pick up speed here so let's look at the period first of all the period the period is it begins in the middle of the tribulation and then it takes takes us to the end of the tribulation it's a period of three and a half years now there is a noticeable shift in the tone and the speed of the events moving from verse 14 not only that, there's a sense of urgency you, you sense in these verses. Notice verse 14. At the end, flee to the mountains. Verse 15. Don't go down into the house if you're on the housetop. If you're in the field, don't go back to your house. Verse 16. It will be difficult for those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Again, a reference to a woman that is about to give birth now while the present age is difficult if you're a follower of Christ and the first half of the tribulation will be difficult nothing has happened in this world to compare with how difficult the second half will be and therefore it's appropriately called the great tribulation the Apostle Paul as John as I mentioned earlier covers this period from Roman Revelation 6 to Revelation 18 you're looking for a more in-depth look at the tribulation what are some markers of this period I've identified at least three notice verse 14 he says when you see the abomination of desolation uh, this period begins by what the Lord describes as the abomination of desolation it's a phrase that is perhaps mentioned in capital letters in your Bible and the reason is that it is a quotation from the Old Testament it's mentioned three times in th- the book of Daniel Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11, and Daniel chapter 12. Literally, an abomination is something that causes disgust or hatred. Something that causes disgust or hatred. And desolation is a state of complete emptiness or destruction. And so, put those two things together, as people read Daniel's prophecy, there was someone who did that with the Lord's temple. It happened in 167 BC, BC 167, when a Greek ruler by the name Antiochus Epiphanes, he desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. Here's what he did, he set up an altar to the Greek god Zeus over the altar of burnt offering, and then he sacrificed a pig on that altar. But that was not a full fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel because Jesus here is warning that someone will come in the future and that one will stand in the temple someday. So it's not something that was completely fulfilled. But when will it be completely fulfilled? Turn to 2 Thessalonians with me. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul has this event in mind as he describes the abomination of desolation. Notice what he writes. He says, Let no one deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God what does this individual do he sets himself up as God and he desecrates the temple now because Paul is referencing the temple we can assume that between now and the middle of the tribulation that a third temple will be built and when this individual does this you will know that you are in the great tribulation the second sign there is the great tribulation the intensity the word comes up in verse 19 for these days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will the intensity and the scale of persecution will only go up from here on so much so that our Lord describes it as a great tribulation some thought of 70 AD as the fulfillment of this prophecy uh, those people are called the preterists but that's not what the Bible teaches here because Jesus says that it's an event that has that is not comparable since the Lord's creation until now you know more than six million Jews died in the Second World War Uh, Hitler, as you know, famously called it the Final Solution. But even that would seem minuscule in comparison to what is about to be unleashed in the Great Tribulation. Uh, That was neither a solution nor was it final, by the way, but this is called a Great Tribulation. There's a third one, and that is deception, similar to the previous age. Uh, This period will also be marked by deception people will say as he says here verse 21 here is Christ or behold he is there there will be false Christs and false prophets in abundance in this particular period the period of great tribulation and they will show signs and wonders they will perform miracles but their signs and wonders their miracles are only with an intention to deceive these are what our Lord calls As counterfeits these these are copies these are spurious and these are phony all of these things will mark this particular period how do we respond what are our Lord's instructions for this particular period notice we are to respond or believers who will exist at that time need to respond with a sense of urgency as you look at this particular section there is no mention here about going and sharing the gospel or caring for those who are in need Uh, there is instead as we looked at verse 14 a command to flee and get away from Jerusalem if you're there a flee to the mountains it says flee because the speed with which things will then increase in their destructive abilities will only increase take heed he says because if you're a believer you're already been informed about the scale of this tribulation verse 23 I've already told you everything in advance. So we need, believers who exist at that time will need to respond with a sense of urgency. But there's another one that we need to remember. Remember that the Lord is in control. Whether it's right now the period that we are in or the period in the Great Tribulation, we remember that the Lord is in control. As difficult and unparalleled as these events are, the sovereignty of our great God is not hurt at all. He hears prayers and he responds to prayers he is the one who allows these events even to happen and he's actively saving people even during this particular age the great tribulation he's the one it says at the end in verse 20 that he shortened the days he shortened the days for the elect whom he chose it says he's the one who has shortened the days he does this for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen not only that he preserves and protects his people notice in verse 20, 22 all the false Christs and prophets are putting all of their efforts together to deceive God's elect notice what it says in verse 22 for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. What does it mean, if possible? It is not possible to lead the elect. To remember that the Lord is in control and nothing that happens in this life or in the great tribulation can ever separate us from God's love for us. Isn't it Paul who writes, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword and then in verse 37 it says but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything that is created will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus Will anyone be able to separate us? Answer, no one. No one. The Lord is in control and he loves us with an everlasting love. What a great comfort for those who are living in that period. If you are in Christ, you will of course be raptured before this, but there will be believers in this period. And when they read this, what comfort it would bring to them that they will not be separated from God's love. That brings us to the end of the tribulation. Our Lord is now ready to share about his second coming. Now it's an event that all of history in this world is climaxing towards. On this current earth, this is the event towards which everything is preparing itself. Thirdly then, as we think of the period, we think of the Lord's second coming, verse 24 to 27. In the first coming, our Lord came as one who was meek and lowly, a gentle servant and a savior in his second coming he comes as a king who will reign now helpful to understand a little bit of the context here you know in the general Jewish mind the coming of the Messiah was one event Uh, and once the Messiah came that ushered in one event after another including his reign as a king and along with his reign all of those who were part of his kingdom will come and reign with him that's how the Jewish mind thought of the Messiah's coming Now, Jesus' disciples were also convinced of the fact that he was the Messiah and so they would ask him about the events of the end times many times but they had not understood that there were two comings of the Messiah now to be fair to them it was something that was not explicitly mentioned or explained in the Old Testament Now, remember at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4 Uh, He he gets up to read from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue. And then uh, this is what he reads. Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's verse 62 right in the middle. And then he stops there and he gives the scroll back to the attendant and takes his seat to teach. And then he says this, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your presence or in your hearing. Now that was true because it spoke of his first coming. But you know the next immediate sentence after that is this one, And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. That's in reference to his second coming. And so, while not explicitly mentioned or explained in the Old Testament, you have to be kind to these individuals who may not have fully understood it. So as you read that passage, you are concluding that these events follow one after the other immediately. And that's why after the resurrection, if you remember Acts chapter 1, our disciples who are with Jesus, just before the ascensions, the disciples asked him, Lord, is it time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Verse 6 of chapter 1. So with that context in mind, let's consider this particular period, verse 24. As you think of this period, as you read this discourse, it's clear that he's not coming until the end of the Great Tribulation. Notice in verse 24, uh, we are first of all given a clear time marker. It says, but in those days after that Tribulation. Uh, The Great Tribulation has come to an end. And as you continue to think of the analogy of the birth pangs and pregnancy, you know, what brings joy after all of that pain and labor is to see a child that is born. Is it not? What brings joy to a child of God after the trials and tribulation that he has been through or she has been through is to see his or her savior first coming, you know, coming, coming back again to, to reign and that you will reign with him as well. Now that is the period. It is one that follows immediately after the Great Tribulation. Now what are some markers of this period? And a number of sentences follow, which are all in caps, this telling us that our Lord is actually using Old Testament to teach us about His second coming. All those texts that you see come from Isaiah, Ezekiel, and, and Joel. So He's using Old Testament to tell us about His second coming. What are some things that that will mark this coming second coming It says the Sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light because it also depends on the Sun for its light it will be darkened and it says the stars will be falling from heaven the Sun will be dark the moon will be dark and it you will see stars falling from heaven it's not clear how the Lord will bring those about some have suggested that this could very well be a huge volcanic activity on the earth that will cause this we we don't know but we, we take this as it is written here the stars falling could also be stars literally falling from where God has placed them or it could be meteors or meteorites so can't say with conviction what how that will be but we take what our Lord says here literally the stars will be falling from heaven the powers that are in the heavens will also be shaken now whatever you envision this to be one thing is clear this is a cosmic event of great proportion. It's not happening in someone's uh, private dreams or visions. No, this is something that the entire earth will witness. Now, again, he quotes Old Testament. Here he quotes the Son of Man. Uh, quotes Daniel chapter seven, which was referenced also in the morning. It tells us that once this happened, it's then that the Son of Man will come in the clouds with great power and glory. Now. 100 years back it was probably difficult to imagine how that would be but with media and advancements in technology it's not difficult to imagine an event which the entire world will witness at the same time this happens, as he says here with great power and great glory that is on full display you remember in John chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer he tells us that he has set aside some aspect of his glory verse 5 in taking on human nature, but that glory has also been restored here, verse 26. Uh, This is the groaning of all creation, and it will come to one final crescendo before the Son of Man comes in the clouds. A great sight that will be. If you are a follower of Christ, you will join him in coming to this earth to reign with him. notice one last thing that happens here is that he will then gather together all his elect from all over the world Uh, these are individuals who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation what a joy must fill the hearts of these believers as their faith turns into sight as they see their Lord and King come back just as he promised Those are the three periods that are mentioned in our text today. And there's some lessons then that we ought to take from this for our, as we look at the future. Let me read that passage. I'm sure you're wondering why I have not read the entire text to you. But here it is. Let's, let's read the passage together. Now learn from the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender, and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so you too when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. It's not talking about the generation that existed when he spoke these things but the generation that existed during tribulation. Heaven And earth will pass away, but my words will never or not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed then. Keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. One of the things that we can draw from this is we ought to make every effort to understand the times. You know, the fig tree example is given because it has a regular pattern. The leaves appear and then the summer follows. When you see the leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when these signs, particularly the one that is mentioned in verse 14, the abomination of desolation, uh, these appear, the world can know that the triumphant return of Jesus is near, right at the door, as he says here the reference to a generation as I mentioned earlier cannot be to the disciples generation but the one that existed during the tribulation so first of all then understand the times how do you understand the times closely related to that is be grounded in God's word heaven and earth will pass away says but my words will not pass away the Lord has spoken what we need to know is in the pages of the book that you hold in your hand Uh, the book is sufficient for our salvation and for our sanctification and it comes to us with the authority of the one who is coming again heaven and earth will pass away but not his words you can rely on this book you can stake your life on it because the one whose word this is is a reliable and a faithful one be grounded in God's Word and then thirdly and finally be alert be alert. There are four different ways in which the same phrase is repeated notice verse 33 take heed again keep on the alert verse 35 be on the alert and then even this portion ends at the end of verse 37 be on the alert it's like the doorkeeper who's instructed to be alert Now we don't know the appointed time so we should be alert always we don't know when the master of the house is coming so we should be alert we've been told in advance about the events leading up to the coming again of our Lord therefore we are to be alert we are to be prepared now being alert does not always mean that we should never sleep or take rest at all no but it means our posture our whole outlook towards life as a believer is one that is constantly involved in equipping ourselves against the attacks of our enemies so that we are not deceived or misled don't be misled don't be deceived be on the alert as we bring our time to a close let me ask you personally are you prepared for our Lord's coming how often do you intentionally think about his coming just like Alfred Nobel we have had a sneak preview into how the end is going to be like so how can we be prepared let me leave you with one final thought comes from uh, a thinker that I've come to really appreciate as I've thought more about how to live this life and every time I read resources from him feels like the uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus our hearts my heart burns every time I read something from him his name is Jonathan Edwards and you probably are familiar with his resolutions he wrote them in his late teens not going to mention all of them here but some things that are relevant for us. Number five, he says, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. I'm gonna make the best of the moment that God has given me. All of us are in different seasons of life, different experiences, but I think our, our text today, if it does anything to us as it calls us to action, tells us that we ought to make as we look to be prepared to make the best of the time that God has given us. God has given you and me. But there's another one. This is a slightly difficult one. Let me read it and I'll mention a few things about it. On the supposition that there never was to be but one individual in the world at any one time who was properly a complete Christian in all respects of a right stamp, having Christianity always shining in its true luster and appearing excellent and lovely and from whatever part and under whatever character viewed resolved to act just as I would do if I strove with all my might to be that one who should live in my time. I understand it's a few hundred years old English here, but let me explain what that that is. Perhaps some of you have got what he's trying to say here he says Lord if there is the best Christian of my generation if there is a category like that I want to be that Christian I want to be the best Christian of my generation because that's the kind of Christian who will be well prepared for what the Lord says here now he's not talking about competing against other Christians or anything like that Lord if it's to be humility help me to be the most humble person that is out there If it is someone who needs to be grounded in your word, help me to be the best student of your word that is out there. Uh, Moms, help me to be the best mom I can be as a child of God. Students, husbands, wives, workers at, at our workplaces, help me to be the best Christian I can be. That is how we can be well prepared for what the Lord has for us. My prayer is that, all of us here in Faith Builders, our church, countryside Bible church, would be characterised at one as a generation that is best prepared to respond to what is coming in the future. Let us aim to be a generation of Christ followers who are well prepared for His coming. Who are aiming to be the best Christian we can be of our generation. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Your Word. Uh, thank you for so many things that we can gather from it. or I'm afraid I've just run through so fast through what you had to say to your disciples and to us, that I may not have done full justice to your text and to what you've said. Or I pray for each one of us here, for those who have placed their trust in you, are walking with you faithfully. I pray that they would remember that they will be able to endure till the end. And that you still love them that nothing will come between your love and challenges that they face Lord I do pray for some perhaps who are here who don't know you as their Lord and Savior even as the uncertainty of what is coming in the future uncertainty to us but not to you because you already know the future Lord I pray for them I pray that they would think of today as the day of their salvation And that they would come to know you, place their trust in you before it is too late. I do pray for our relatives and friends who we have been ministering for a short time, perhaps a long time. Lord, give us the words to speak to them and convict them of their sins and draw them to yourself. I pray for today, I pray for this week, I pray for the rest of our time on this earth that we would be prepared Christians. We ask these things in Christ's precious and worthy name. Amen. Welcome to be at your tables and then you will be dismissed.